0: Section thirty one of Monologues. This is a Librox recording. All Librox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librox.org. Monologues by Richard Middleton A Monologue on Love Songs. I think the people who expect you to make fine poetry out of motor-cars and the telephone and old age pensions are very foolish very foolish indeed it never has been done it will never be done all the great poetry of the world has been concerned with birth and love and death they are the only things significant enough for so rare a medium of expression and of course they are not really worn out at all they are new every day every hour it is not because of that that people no longer read poetry he stirred his glass with a circular turn of the wrist that pulls the heavy dranodyne up through the soda water the lovers flocked along the boulevard walking two by two as if they were already bound yes i have read your poems and i thought they were very pretty some of them seemed to me to have been felt i think you must have been in love with something or other when you wrote them but what you were in love with whether it was a girl or an idea of a girl or yourself or something that you had found in a book i really don't know and that is my criticism of nearly all the love poems that has ever been written Oh, I know that you speak of her lips and her mouth and other bits and pieces of her body. It was a good day for poets when they first thought of doing that and that really has something to do with love. Though there is a set of infamous rascals who pretend it hasn't, but it isn't all when you sum up the emotional units that compose a love affair. You will found that it is only an appreciable fraction of the whole it is the absence of other elements that makes your poetry artificial you admit that isn't all when you fill up your poems with flowers and stars despair and desire and eternity and things of that sort the necessity is disastrous for it makes your poems inhumane and love is the most human emotion we enjoy yet when the lovers come to you for news of your passion you give them only a geographical chart of your mistress and a handful of insignificant symbols what is the use of these to charles when his increased salary were moaning with her new muff they know that all these things have little to do with love what they want is the expression of the poet's passion conveyed in terms that they themselves can understand i would not make it the final of poetry but it seems to me that any really good love poem should be comprehensible to any intelligent lover without lampery, please of course you seen in good company swinburne's poems are often called erotic but their passion is pure intellectual and a nation that was dependent on the first series of poems and ballads for their knowledge of love would die of inanition he talks to a woman and a statue in exactly the same tone of voice, and when we have become accustomed to the brilliance of his technique, we realize that he has read about love in a naughty Greek book. Most of you young poets end by creating the same impression, except that we feel as a rule that you have read your Greek book by aid of a crib. What I want, whatever you are, everyone else wants is evidence that you were in love with a real girl in a real world when you wrote your poems then they become interesting alive but the conventions that you have borrowed from other poets give them the air of academic exercises they are pretty ingenious what you will but you and your large-eyed lady appear only as discomfit ghosts who have been bitten by some quaint mythological insect called love you must remember that nearly everybody has been in love at one time or another and that writers of love poetry must be prepared to face an extraordinary number of well-informed critics while well, you poets make love subtle remote mysterious while well, all the world knows everything there is to be known about it nowadays love is as comprehensible as the measles as domesticated as a cat we know its causes its symptoms its consequences what are we to think when you tell us of starred heavens and amethystine wings listen it's no good dismissing this kind of criticism as mere philistinism in love we are all philistines or all poets we can't say that your love is pure or more aesthetic than that of the shop-boy because you have voluntarily accepted the conception of a universal god shooting his errors with a democratic blindness to class restrictions in effect your kisses are very like the kisses of ordinary men it is not only poets who appreciate the eyes and lips and bosoms of their mistresses and so far you are justified in regarding this as an important aspect of love but there are other aspects no less immediate which you ignore because the other poets ignore them look out there under the trees where young men and women are walking up and down in pairs the atmosphere is almost oppressive with love but it is love without wings without airs and with quick keen eyes if you were attempting to give prose impression of that very pleasant parade i don't think that you would write about eternity or the pastels of roses it would be far more to the point to write about the little bags the girls carry on their wrists in every one of them there is a change for a franc a handkerchief, two or three letters and a small powder box with a looking-glass lid they look in the glass to make sure they are pretty enough to meet their lovers for me a love poem ought to be resemble one of those little bags and contain the same thing passion but i wager the love letters are passionate in love my friend it is only you young dreamers who try to keep passion in a water-tight compartment away from the ordinary emotions of life in reality it is always mixed with powder lace handkerchiefs and five-franc pieces to think that in all your hundred love poems you have not once spoken of money no i'm not being cynical there is an economic side to love as there is to all other human relationships you fall in love with a woman much richer or much poorer than yourself and you realize that only too well and the looking-glass element enters too not only for the women but also for the man. those young fellows out there are pleased enough to be well dressed and of course a girl in a new hat is not a girl one met yesterday a little extra peacockery is one of the commonest symptoms of love a natural desire to look one's best if you prefer it but you haven't a word to say about it but when it is lightning-up time for glowworms the lanes are crowded with poets have you ever seen a glowworm ugly little beggars they are as brittle as lizards for me a shop assistant in his new brown boots or a factory girl with her first big hat is far more striking spectacle that is love's livery as it is worn by human beings and i find it more convincing than your armour or your nasty clean draperies i remember once seeing a telegraph boy talking to a girl in the strand and being taken aback by the sight of his smooth young face blazing with passion now the only significant thing about a telegraph boy is his uniform but if you had had the same impression as i had and had given birth to one of your poems you would have said nothing about his uniform and would probably have called him vaguely a youth trilling the hideous chains of monstrous civilization with the best will in the world your readers could not have recaptured your impression they would not have seen what i saw the flushed eager face the desperate twitching hands leaping out of a wooden body all straight lines like a child's drawing on a slate they would not have seen the contrast between his crisp fingers and his inflexible belt between his polished boots and his face dabbled with spots of color and shades of perspiration your sacrifice all the beauty of your impressions to immediate beauty of words or to conventional standards of aestheticism that is why flesh and blood lovers laugh at you when grown too old for poetry you turn critic and say that all the possible love poems have been written as a matter of fact poets have hardly started to write about love yet a few phrases of shakespeare's on jealousy a few fine moments of robert browning odd how the most commonplace of poet lovers knew more about love than the whole row of passionate singers a handful of old songs a little burns and what's left beside meredith tried but when he treats of love he fails at the poetry so does commentary patmore who might have made a fine thing of the angel in the house if a course of modern french po- novels had taught him to distinguish between his real emotions and the emotions he thought he ought to feel today there is a e houseman with his shrub lad i may have forgotten something but it seems to me that that is the only book of english love poetry which an intelligent woman would not find silly and high and remember that if at these illusion end we come to believe that love is a masculine emotion rather than feminine the women always understand it better than the men if they only knew how to write what love songs they would give us sappho is still there with all her yearning songs that the careless centuries have mislaid what we all want now is the poet big enough to throw overboard the conventional knick-knacks the new art vocabulary the tight-laced mattress the birmingham relics of dead ages with which you youngsters are cumbered like the white knight in alice through the looking-glass of course it isn't easy Walt Whitman was a big man, but he threw the poetry overboard as well, and only the born deaf and the mentally deficient can call the American Rousseau a poet. End of section thirty one.